Welcome to this episode of Perfecting Potatoes Together, brought to you by BASF. My name is Cedric Porter, and I'm the editor of World Potato Markets and co-host of the Planet Potato podcast. We're talking potato trials this time, what problems have crops encountered this year, and most importantly, how can those problems be solved? But before that, I'm going to come over all arty and discuss the potato photographer of the year. Now in its second year, the top prize went to a surreal Dali-esque photo called Fish and Ships, with a fish head poking out of a sprouting potato. Sprouting potatoes were a bit of a theme this year, as were hands cradling potatoes, demonstrating the care in growing and preparing our favourite tuber. There was an especially colourful photo of an Indian potato I liked, but my favourite was a depiction of Edvard Munch's scream made from potato peelings. Seemed to catch the zeitgeist of the moment perfectly. The award is the brainchild of photographer Benedict Brain, and all the proceeds went to food bank charity The Trussell Trust. So a good one to support there. You can see the winners by searching Potato Photographer of the Year on your favourite web browser. And so, from film to field, today I'm joined by Meg Edmonds of agricultural research company Eurofins and by old friend of the podcast and BASF stewardship and value chain manager Paul Goddard. So Meg, tell us about the Eurofin trials. Where are they? What is there? And what were you looking at with them this year? Uh, yes, so um, every year we host a large platform demonstration site uh, in Barrow-upon-Trent, which is in Derbyshire, uh, so quite central. Um, yeah, this site this year had nearly a thousand plots, individual plots on the site, so kind of about 11 acres worth of plots, which is, from a trial's point of view, quite a, bit, a, big, a big field and a big operation. Um, so this year, predominantly, I'd say about three quarters of the site were taken up by uh, potato late blight trials, so investigating various different ag chem products as straight um, applications throughout the season to really sort of highlight any sensitivity of those products. Um, a lot of programs. We also had some variety plots and nozzle trial work. Um, and then this year we sort of diversified a little bit. Um, with over over the last couple of years, we've seen a little more interest from the industry of seeing some alternative trials on the site. So starting to look at the role biostimulants um and various other um sort of com uh, aspects of potato production sort of complement or sort of have an impact on potato blight as a pandemic so um this year in particular we had a sort of biostimulant nutrient fertilizer zone now meg i know you have a big team it's not just you on the uh, a thousand plots and i know you and the team um you put on a blight day recently how did that go yeah, so it was a great success. Lots and lots of good dialogue and chatter happening across across the board at the event. One of the main sort of themes was understanding new variants and new strains that were coming in and their potential sensitivity to, also essentially the product's potential sensitivity to it, and how sort of rapidly that is um, moving across the country and rapidly sort of changing. So that was a large sort of topic of conversation obviously discussions over over potential alternatives of those protectant sprays where we're potentially losing the manxeb sort of safety net there and variety variety resistance was a big topic of the day so using that as part of the toolbox within within the sort of agronomist's uh, toolkit as you say it's, it's been a high blight year this year uh, across the country you you've obviously found that on site uh, and um, so is it 
it has been particularly high this year. How's it, how's it compare with other years? Uh, yeah, certainly a high a high blight year. I've not had to irrigate quite as much, um, which is always nice. So less evenings spent running around underneath stanchions, checking that they're all working correctly. We we had particularly conducive weather right at the very beginning when we inoculated. Um, so we inoculate the site uh, with we we this year we inoculated with the two main sort of strains of interest, um, which are green thirty seven A two and pale pink thirty six A two. Occasionally we get lucky with a bit of a thunderstorm and we, we got lucky again um, this season. Uh, unfortunately, that then carried on, which, um, as Paul will probably understand from some of the intervals between some sprays, uh, that it, it didn't go in our favour sometimes, but we, we made the best of it. Um, and as I mentioned before, there's, because there's two of us, myself and Luke, we quite often can make it work by working a weekend or, or what have you. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly... I'd say higher, higher levels of infection than a more conducive and you're repli- you're, you're trying to replicate you know, what it would be like on a, on a commercial farm, I suppose. So that, 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 those pressures that you felt would have been felt on farms as well. Uh, not quite as bad. I think we're, we're, we're demonstrating worst case scenarios. Yeah. So each, each of our plots has got effectively an untreated strip right next to it and no farmer would allow that in their field. Um, they wouldn't let it let the situation get as bad as it is on our on our demo site but we're, we're really putting worst case scenario out there um ramping up the pressure if you were to speak to an agronomist or a potato agronomist and ask what i was doing i'm effectively doing everything wrong to try and maximize the chance of the disease disease coming in so i'm irrigating when i shouldn't be we're allowing those untreated areas to sort of spread rapidly so, so people should almost sort of be following you and say well meg's doing that so i won't do that today <laughs> Unless you want to do trials, of course, you need <laughs> yeah. nice even pressure there. Yeah, and and so I mean, was it? I mean, having a, a high pressure year is actually quite useful for you in terms of uh, of research, I suppose. So, any sort of lessons that are emerging? Obviously, um, you know, we're not fully through the season yet, but anything sort of emerging so far? I think um, one of the key. Uh, sorry, I, I, during the event, I, I wander around and, and have a ch- chat to people and sort of catch up with quite a few people. And quite a lot of the running themes were um, almost an over-reliance on sort of pro- um, sort of just sticking to that seven days and not really looking at intervals as carefully as potentially they should. Um, and, yeah, certainly I heard quite a few stories of uh, potentially taking it a bit for granted of having that interval and certainly this year the weather has not helped so where people have been not being not monitoring things as closely potentially as they should be um they maybe have gotten a little bit tripped up by that um by sort of having the i should spray on a wednesday and i'll spray every wednesday sort of plan in place and the weather's not not allowed a lot of people to be able to do that so i think from a planning perspective it's probably woken quite a few people up and certainly from myself and luke We've never had to replan or change our plans up on a weekly basis as much as we have this year, um, which has made it quite entertaining for all of our colleagues because uh, our live pl- we, we use a, a live plan and everybody comments on the fact that myself and Luca are effectively changing it day by day by day. Meg, how do you monitor blight on your site? Myself, I've got a weather station on site and I have a, a leaf sensor, essentially humidity wetness sensor in the crop itself and so I can monitor that very closely not every farmer will have that to their sort of um to hand as as much as I do I'm monitoring things a little bit sort of closely than more closely than a a huge a huge field like we're 
even though I'm 11 acres, it's still small fry compared to a, a large operation. Um, you're never going to be in every single row of every single potato all the time. So I think one big thing is is weather forecasting hasn't been as strong as um, it could be. And I think there's a lot of dialogue about what can we use there. Um, and actually, blight forecasting, I know certainly um, such as likes of Blight Spy and using those, those Hutton criteria to your advantage um, to sort of change things up. Um, and I know certainly I, I, I know a lot of farmers or agronomists who in the background, they've got their low risk program or low cost program, but they've got this back backfill of a high, 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 high risk program to change up into if the conditions um, mean that they need to do that. So I think the lessons learned are we can't, we need to move away from those seven days. We need to be much more adaptable. We need to take each field situation um, sort of individually i mean varieties play a huge part into that as well if you've got a decision between two fields to spray and you've only got a window to spray one and you said i mean the the, the research is not and trials not just about blight there are other things as well any, any sort of lessons there in some of the other areas too um so certainly there's been a lot of um look into use of drift retardants um or adjuvants to sort of aid uh aid the control um, and with AgChem, certainly moving away from sort of blocking treatments because um, that sort of opens you up to uh, a bit of sort of sensitivity building and uh, a bit of it leaves, leaves the programme a little bit vulnerable. And I think um, certainly, as I've spoken to quite a few people, it's everything is complementary and the programmes do have to continually adapt. Um, we do need to be looking at different active ingredients and conditions on site. Um, irrigation plays a big role and timing of irrigation so making sure you've got a good understanding of your canopy um, and what conditions what conditions are sort of there in field but also what the uh, blight spy is actually the the samplings that are coming in which are fairly live to see see what's happening in your area and see what what samples are being picked up and how can listeners find out more about your trials in controlling blight um, so for myself, for the trials, we had a blight blog this year. Um, so if you head over to the European's website and the biological assessment page, um, that's a little bit more of what's going on in the background to the actual demo site itself. Um, but also uh, AHDB have got a wealth of sort of um, information on their website. I know certainly the Blight Spy, I've been looking at that. It's quite something reasonably new, but that's been quite useful. Um, quite a lot of various other organisations have set up uh, blight forecasting or um, I know certainly there's a lot of apps out there um, I personally have my phone in my pocket all the time so I, I've got blight spy on my phone and I keep an eye on things in the field I've got the link to the weather station um, and it might well be that we're, we're moving away from the circumstance I mean everybody's work, a lot of people are working from home now so uh, we're not sat at our computers quite so much we're out and about in the field and I think just keeping yourself current um, I certainly weather forecasting has been something I've been hooked on the the weather apps and checking them oh yeah i think uh, it comes to us all at some point doesn't it being obsessed with the weather and i suppose there's so many more apps now that you can do that so thanks meg um so paul what lessons have you learned about blight uh, this year both at the trials and beyond that from our side the the high blight pressure has been been welcome for us that's what we want in trials i think it's worth saying that uh, pressure sort of differed this year from uh, what you'd regard as being the more normal. Um, there seems to have been slightly less pressure in the west of the country and uh, much more in the east, um, probably connected with the the weather events that uh, 
Meg was talking about earlier, um, particularly the the wetness. I think there's been more in the east, uh, more over average anyway. So say the, the the pressure has been has been higher on the whole, um, which is good for trials, but a, a challenge for people in the field. I think to use the the chemistry at its best, um, and to protect that chemistry for the the long run, it's got to be used in the right way, which then. We get caught with the, the numbers of applications and uh, having to tank mix um, straight products to protect them. Um, say a typical bright season, maybe a main crop could have a dozen sprays. Uh, when the blight really racks up, as it has been for parts of this season in some areas, that, that can go up by 50%, which then puts challenges on the, the, the amount of chemistry and using chemistry in the right way. Um, this is where we've seen some of the advantages with, with our new products coming through. It'll be a couple of years or so ago now that we um, launched a Nervin SC, that is straight amatoxidin. This followed the uh, this followed uh, the, the strain 37A2, which has fluazinam insensitivity, um, featuring strongly in the blight population. And at that point in time, the the, the challenge of protecting tubers against blight that the the later applications in the program really started to show um, because the the option that didn't clash was gone um, and then we relied very heavily upon the QII chemistry but there's others out there as well but particularly the QII chemistry if you already used it you can't come back and use it again um, I, I thought considering the, the pressure that the site is under um, the mega is loading each side of the infection triangle very heavily and um, doing everything that uh, you shouldn't be doing with regards to uh, uh, protecting a crop from blight um, hence the the great trials we've we've got um, but that, under that pressure you know, it, it, it's higher than you would anticipate in the field particularly because of the, the inoculation that's going on in addition to the wetness that may happen naturally and the variety which may be um, highly susceptible um, so we, we looked at, uh, as I say, an Irving with um, some oxynil hamacarb worked very, very well. Uh, we know an Irving is a good tank mix partner, and that tank mix is a non-clashing tank mix. So again, it frees up. It doesn't include any CAAs or QIIs. Um, so they are free to be used where you want to, if you need to. Um, they're free to give the, the option should things start getting even more difficult. You've been trialling a new product at Eurofins this year, haven't you? We have, yes. The, the, the big one for us, and I think the big one for the industry actually, is our BAS 657, the amatoxidin with potassium phosphonate, so the non-crushing chemistry. It can be fitted in the programme without affecting anything else that you're doing. Um, it works very well priming the plant. Um, the product has uh, multi-site activity, so in a world where we value multi-sites more than ever, um, probably because we're losing them quicker than ever. Um, it's nice to see a, a reversal of that trend. So there's a big positive for it. In terms of how it works, we we have the QOSI mode of action from amatoxidin, unique to amatoxidin, and we have host plant-induced defense uh, from the potassium phosphonate, um, and that has both direct and indirect activity. And as a result, it works particularly well when you start early in the program. Um, because you're priming the plant to help protect itself for, for, for want for an easy phrase to say. In addition, the chemistry is truly systemic as well. So it fits 
very well at the rapid canopy part of the program. Um, we have moved to translaminar materials when we lost the, the, the truly systemic material um, a number of years ago. Um, now we have that option again, or that, those options again, and a truly systemic material must be best in those slots. Um, the, the formulation itself works particularly well. Um, we've seen this, we've done analysis on results which have confirmed there is a genuine one plus one from the active ingredients here. Um, we put this in part down to the, the Syntec formulation. And as I say, amatopsin does work very well with other actives. Um, in fact, it's been one of the strongest products we've seen in trials for um, a number of years. It pitched at what I would describe as being top draw efficacy. So up there with your mandipopamid, with your siazofamid, um, those sorts of products. Paul, you're also looking at alternaria at Eurofins. Yes, this is the first time we've had uh, an alternaria trial at, uh, at Eurofins, um, Derby site. Um, the reason for that is we have... Uh, some very exciting chemistry coming along in that area. Our Bass 750, Revisol, um, should be with us actually before the end of the year. Um, approval should come through in the in this quarter and everything's looking like that will be happening. In terms of the chemistry itself, it's uh, an isopropanol azole. Um, so it's been through 1107 and as a result, it's gonna be with us for, for a while to come as yet, which is good news. Um, the, the chemistry itself has been shown in other crops to deliver very strong performance, um, strong protection, strong curative activity. Um, and we're seeing exactly this in, with Alton area um, in potatoes. Um, in terms of the, the standard material, diphenoconazole, 750 Revisol is a step up in activity. And it's also more reliable than the, the diphenoconazole. And this has been seen across many trials in the UK and across Europe as well. And how can growers find out more about your results? Um, what we've been doing this season, like we did last season, is uh, filming plots with high definition cameras to give time lapse imagery. Um, we've also had got we've also had aerial photography done with, with drones. And this is going to be stitched together, as we did last year, to form a virtual trials tour. So, uh, yes, we had good numbers around the, the site this year. It was really engaging, really interesting. Uh, this will be on our Real Results farm site um, and also on our, our website. Um, as best to search under the virtual trials tour. Thanks, Paul. Now, Meg. Uh, this has been a year of unusual weather. We've had cold, we've had heat, we've had um, rain, uh, everything it really in a whole season. Um, do you see, is this the effects of climate change? Yeah, I think so. I think um, unsettled is probably the best way to just sort of describe it. And it's a little bit unpredictable. Um, every every year is, is a bit of a challenge. And as, as Paul was sort of alluding to the sort of the late blight triangle as such, we've got control over effectively two sides of that triangle. The one we don't is temperature. Um, and we have seen in the past where that has had a big impact on, on disease progression. Um, but yeah, this season especially um, was a bit, a bit strange in the sense that we saw more wet weather in, in the east um, which obviously was helpful for us uh, being sort of more centrally located. But yeah, it certainly, it certainly means we need to keep on top of things. We need to keep um, 
one step ahead of the game in a sense of having um, suitable irrigation system forward forecasting and planning to ensure that we can maintain those sort of on-site conditions but I think it it means that there's probably more vulnerability within women programs and as I was sort of mentioning before that people need to be more adaptable and the 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 changes in climate mean that potentially we need to sort of change tact and change how we're approaching uh, management of crops. Climate change is going to bring more variability unpredictability to our food supply system um, it will be more vulnerable because we are experiencing more extremes now, be it hot, dry, wet, cold, um, combinations of which when they happen at the right time is good, but when they happen at the wrong time is incredibly bad. So we can have a fantastic year, be spoilt by what happens at the end. We can have a, a poor year because of what happens at the beginning. Um, and that would have an impact, as I say, on our, our ability, on agriculture's ability to supply food. Um, that means that we need to have mechanisms to make the supply chain, the supply system more resilient. We need the tools, all the tools that are available to us to be available to us um, to use um, appropriately. Some wise words there, Paul. Now, we always ask our guests their favourite way of eating potatoes. Paul has told us in the past that he likes all types. I don't actually think he eats anything else. Um, but Meg, what is your favourite way of eating potatoes? Uh, I'm very, very simple. It's got to be roast potatoes. Um, I could eat a roast dinner for breakfast, lunch or dinner time. Um, most definitely one of my favourite meals. Um, but yeah, got to be a good good roast. Nice so standard mouse would... piper probably. A good Maris Piper roast. So, what would your 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 favourite roast be? Uh, roast roast beef probably um, with roast potatoes, and then absolutely tons of vegetables, um, and of course a nice Yorkshire pudding. Now, you told me before you're a bit of a broccoli fan. Is that right? I am. I, I know. It's, it's every time everybody equals uh, at work, uh, the question comes up: What is Meg's favourite vegetable? Everybody answers potato, but unfortunately they're wrong. My favourite vegetable is actually broccoli, which is a little bit controversial. I do apologise. So the next podcast is going to be brilliant broccoli together, I think. So, um, so yeah, well, <laughs> thanks for that, Meg. <laughs> as long as you're eating your broccoli with potatoes, we don't mind. Of course, of course. <laughs> but perfect, balanced meal, I should say. <laughs> so many thanks for that, Meg, uh, and thanks to you, Paul, as well. Uh, this podcast is all about perfecting potatoes together. So we'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on Twitter at BASF Crop UK. Or you can sign up for the, to the Real Results Virtual Farm by going to www.agricentre.basf.co.uk slash real hyphen results slash potatoes. Uh, and there you'll find more information and plenty of opportunities for you to be involved too. So many thanks again and uh, thank you for listening uh, and wishing you happy harvesting in the next few weeks. And until next time on Reflecting Potatoes Together, goodbye and thank you. Thank you.